right, welcome back everybody to another show of Flyway Connections. My name is Chris. I'm here with my buddy Joe. Joe. Hey, how you guys all doing today? So right. today we have oh. go ahead, man. Uh, so today on the show we have Derek Davis from um Ducks Unlimited out here in Louisiana and Mike. I don't want to uh butcher your name too much, uh Barsher. Uh, I Brazier. Brazier. <laughs> Mike Brazier. Yeah, Don't worry, he can't read. <laughs> yeah, I can't read. <laughs> that, that's the reason he joined the army. <laughs> but uh, so, I, go ahead. No, uh, how you guys all doing today? Doing, doing well. Doing well. Good to be here. All right. So as far as uh, roles and you, uh, as far because both of you work with um, DU, uh, as far as y'all's roles. What is exactly do you do, Derek? And then after Derek, if you can follow Mike, correct? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I am the regional director here in Southwest Louisiana. I work with local communities in Southwest Louisiana um, to grow the volunteer uh, committee. And mm-hmm. once we grow that committee every year, they host one, two, and sometimes even you know three events. Um, the committee that Mike used to be a part of here in Lafayette, uh, the Lafayette committee actually had four events. So the, the number of events you hold is not, you know, there's no cap on it, but uh, in, in the Southwest Louisiana, I'm in, I'm in charge of working with about 900 volunteers that um, are in within my region. And we raise anywhere between 900 and about a hundred, you know, $1.7 million depending on um, the economy and stuff like that. Okay. And uh, yeah, so I, I'm currently in my position, a waterfowl scientist for Ducks Unlimited. I'm, uh, I'm officed here in Memphis, Tennessee, out of our national headquarters. I've been in this position for a couple of years and this in this position, uh, and I'm going to pause right here and just let y'all know that, that this happens to be a day when they're doing some, uh, doing some yard work outside. So I've got... <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to have a lawnmower or a leaf blower come by, but I apologize if any of that happens. But you're good. Uh, so in my current position, I uh, I provide just additional science capacity, waterfowl science capacity, to our national headquarters for a variety of reasons. Uh, we, uh, as most folks will know, Ducks Unlimited is a, is an organization that bases our conservation decisions on the best available science, and as such, we invest uh, a, a fair amount in and actually supporting science as well as hiring scientists that that stay up to date on that type of information and help provide guidance on our conservation decisions. In each of our regions within Ducks Unlimited, we have a scientist, several science staff that do that that, that represent the science within our conservation decisions, um, sort of at the regional level, but we also need a, a strong science foundation back here at national headquarters. I interact with our regional science staff, I interact with, uh, with researchers from various universities to help us identify important questions and then conduct the research to get the answers to those questions that then inform our conservation delivery. I also, as Derek mentioned here, uh, I think before we came online that, that I am more recently involved in with involved with some science communication for Ducks mm-hmm. Unlimited, one of which includes our Ducks Unlimited podcast, some of which includes writing articles for the magazine, some of which includes other science reports, updating our, our members and supporters on the type of work that we are supporting and using to inform our conservation decisions. 
Um, so that's that's what I've been doing for the past two years, plus a whole host of other things. You're just kind of being the person that a lot of folks go to here at the national headquarters when they have questions about waterfowl ecology and so forth, which is a really fun part of the job. Uh, prior to that, for 13 years, I was in Lafayette, Louisiana, mm-hmm. uh, working again in a science role, supporting regional conservation mm-hmm. efforts. But that was pretty cool because it allowed me to really get to know coastal Louisiana, coastal Texas, uh, and then coastal Mississippi and Alabama and the importance of that region for waterfowl. So uh, I've been in the area where a lot of your audience is there in Louisiana for a number of years. And so excited for the opportunity to, to, uh, to speak with you all. Okay, nice. So um, that's actually something that I've always wanted to get a biologist actually on the show. Um, And I'm glad that we were able to get one because obviously I'm not the smartest guy either. There's no science that I know. All like all, I guess me and Joe kind of go off of what we see in the sky and uh, how the birds are acting. So I guess the only question I I have for you when it comes to the flyways, um, we're getting a lot of conversation, even people telling us that the central flyway is basically becoming the Mississippi flyway when it comes to uh, birds and uh, the the amount of birds that are going through that flyway. Do you see any difference in the flyways as far as like shifts or anything like that? Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a, a rather common question. Now mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of other questions associated with that general topic that we always get. And, you know, I have to start by saying when we get questions like that from a from the perspective of uh, making decisions or making assessments of what's going on, I talked about Ducks Unlimited as a science-based organization. So are all of our partners at the state and federal level and other nonprofits. We make decisions and make assessments based on what the data tell us. So when somebody asks me that question, I, I first have to think about, well, what data do we have? to assess Mm -hmm. whether that is really happening. It's one thing to go out and make an observation in the particular area where you hunt or where you spend most of your time during fall and and winter. It's another thing entirely to be able to collect data from across a large region in a very representative way, in an unbiased way, and then look at that data and make, you know, draw conclusions based on, on what that data is telling you. Uh, and so, yeah, we do hear people saying that the 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 migration is shifting west. There are more mm-hmm. more ducks moving over into the central flyway. The fact of the matter is, at least based on the information or the analyses that we've been that we've, I think that people have attempted to look at thus far, is that mm-hmm. there does not seem to be any type of long term systematic shift in birds from the Mississippi Flyway into the Central Flyway. Now, if you took two or three years, two or three recent years, and and looked at them, looked at the data, and, and I don't know if this is the case or not, but I'm just saying mm-hmm. hypothetically, if you looked at the data, uh, whether it be midwinter survey data, whether it be harvest data, band recovery data, and if it showed a shift uh, uh, in the last two or three years, into the central flyway, you know, proportionally so. I can tell you it's not going to be a big shift. I, I would be confident of that. But two or three years or three or four years doesn't make for a long-term trend. And I think that's really what the question needs to be rooted in. Are we seeing a long-term shift in one particular uh, in one particular direction or the other? And I just don't think we have any data to, to suggest that uh, right now. Part of the part of the challenge with that, though, is just being able to have data from a very 
across that entire region. There aren't very many data sets that we have to look at that, uh, to answer that question in an objective way. I mentioned a couple of them, uh, harvest harvest data and then band recovery data would be two potential sources. Midwinter yeah. survey data is not even the would not be the best data set to use because for most states, it's collected only at at a single point in time, you know, and you, yeah, we, birds move around, uh, they move around throughout the winter. Uh, so there's a lot going on there, but I think the short answer to kind of summarize that is that based yeah. on any of the data that we've seen analyses we've we've uh, that we've heard about thus far, there's not any type of long term um, shift into the central flyway. Okay, so it's just kind of like spontaneous, just break it down. It's not really something that we can actually say, oh, they're doing a shift. It's just it's just because of the data is not out there. From my understanding, from what you said, it, I mean, what past three years or something, we can't really make a, a definite analysis about that, correct? Yeah. It, and I'm not sure, you know, if I'm being totally honest, I'm not sure if uh, how much I'm not sure who all is is seriously looking at that question right now. Uh-huh. I mean, there are waterfowl biologists in every state and some of them may have done some preliminary analyses. But, I, you know, I, um, it wouldn't take very much to look at some harvest data or band recovery data. And I would be really surprised if you saw a, a, a meaningful shift into the central flyway and if we did again that could be driven simply by the way habitat conditions Mm -hmm. uh, unfolded during those years Uh, that's if you look back through time you're always going to find some years where there was greater harvest in the central flyway or greater harvest in 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 kansas than in texas on a proportional basis or greater harvest in california than in arkansas and those types of single year or even two or three year events don't necessarily translate to a long-term shift that's the that's uh that's the thing that we just kind of have to keep in mind is that it's there's no there's nothing constant when we're talking about uh migratory waterfowl so okay all right. So, yeah, I mean, go ahead, Joe. So I'm um, just go kind of off that question. Well, well, we do have a lot of um, a lot of guests because ninety percent of our guests are here from the state of Louisiana. You know, a lot of the guys talk about you know back in the day where you know we'd have straps, you know, they'd have straps of greenheads and all that. Um, like I said, I'm, I've been hunting here for the last four years, and I, mean, I don't think there's a decrease in ducks, but I would say. I mean, my typical down here, we don't kill as many mallards as, you know, people said they did 20 years ago or not. Um, I mean, I think from from me, I, I think like I'm mostly killing a lot of, you know, a lot of divers, various puddle ducks, like gadwall and teal, you know, an occasional mallard here and there and some pintails. But yeah, a lot of divers down here. Yeah, I think too, like, especially this past season, the, the hurricanes, all the hurricanes have passed through Louisiana. I mean, I'm sure that makes an effect with the birds that are trying to come down here uh, and when they, where they shift. So um, yeah, it's just well, it's something that we're curious about, but. Um, if I could follow up on that, because that is, a, that is an important distinction. Whenever mm-hmm. we, the question that we were talking about initially there was, is the, is the migration shifting West? Mm-hmm. And that's sort of a different question from, if we're talking about the Mississippi and central flyway, here, yeah. this, this, uh, this podcast and this the likely audience. That's a different question than 
are there fewer ducks coming to South Louisiana or South Texas? Um, because we're kind of talking about an east-west type thing versus north-south. And look, there's uh, there's growing growing evidence that there are changes on the landscape that are influencing the timing of migration north to south. And certainly for some species, how far south they're more likely to come. Uh, on average, uh, that this is a really this is a really complex topic that we could chew up two hours talking about. So I'll try not. <laughs> yeah, to let's do not do that. <laughs> but, but yeah, you are you are exactly right. It you can look back at the data and find some species such as mallards and Canada geese are another ex, uh, are another example. Two very two species that are very cold hardy. The number of Canada geese and mallards that you see in South Louisiana nowadays is not what it what it used to be. I mean, I don't I don't think anyone who spends a lot of the time in the marsh is going to try to argue otherwise. Um, so, so yes, there are some changes that we're seeing in terms of the timing of migration from a north south perspective for some species. There are there are changes in sort of the the likely the terminal destination for some species and there are a lot of reasons for that climate is one of those it's warmer um warmer than it than it used to be on average there's always year-to-year variation and we're going to occasionally get some species get some years where things are like the good old day good old days those those years are probably going to be fewer and farther between uh but yeah there's no doubt there are some some changes in when certain duck species species are migrating and how far south they're likely to come during certain years and i think the easiest thing for me to just to say is that the waterfowl management community is is doing its best right now to try to 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 identify how those factors are changing and how they're influencing waterfowl migration um and and then be able to communicate that to our supporters, to our hunters, to help them understand what's going on. Because there's nothing more frustrating than than seeing something happen and not having a good explanation for it. And and so there's a lot of work going on right now to try to summarize what actually is happening, and then try to explain why it is happening. And and then if there's anything that we can do about it, you know, these are migratory birds. They respond to a dynamic landscape to a dynamic environment they have always changed in terms of what they do and when they do it and we're seeing some of that uh right now uh in terms of you know a few of the things that we've talked about here so yeah so i mean i got it i'm a I, i'm a duck hunter i'm gonna kill divers the same i'm gonna kill mallards and um obviously i think you know for people hunting down here and especially new hunters be you know successful you got you know or to consider a successful season is you know that's the duck you're gonna have to go for you know if you know you're gonna come down here kill ringnecks kill bluebills you know lucky enough to kill canvas backs and all that um but i know you guys don't have any of the data back from 20 to 21 season maybe not even the 20 the 1920 season but the the 18 and 20, uh, 19 season what ducks did you guys see harvest mostly here in uh louisiana Oh, I don't, I'll be honest. I don't have those data handy. Um, I could, could, yeah, it'd take me a minute to find those. What I, what I can tell you is that on average, the ducks that you're going to see harvested most in Louisiana are going to be gadwall, uh, blue wing teal, and maybe it's uh, gadwall, green wing teal. 
and I forget which one, blue-wing teal, shovelers, some of those others are going to be around number three or four. I forget exactly how they rank out. But gadwall and green-wing teal, I think, are usually the number one and, and number two. It's been a long time since Mallard was number one in, in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think, and especially for me, um, some of the questions that, I mean, like for, for me, for instance, I think a big thing is uh, the for some of our listeners who are new waterfowlers, I think they it's the fact that um, like for me, I, I, I want to know, okay, what's going to be there, what I'm trying to target. Cause whether I, I like it or not, I don't know if anybody else does this, but, uh, you know, I, I've, I've, there's ducks that I have not, um, got to harvest yet. Um, so there, those ducks are ones that I want to, uh, to go at because I am new to this. I, I don't have the experience that Joe has, but I think this question kind of caters to the newer waterfowlers like okay well where am i going to find this puddle duck or where am i going to find this diver or bluebill or where am i going to find and obviously some of those questions are easy you can find most of your divers along the coast and yeah the the pacific flyway or the or in the east coast or whatever but um i think for the new waterfowler this way it kind of helps them with the questions now i know all this data that you're giving us um is there is there something on, on DU or their site um, that the listeners or anybody who is new to waterfowl can kind of see what are the patterns of these bird, migrant birds through DU? Mm, well, in terms of harvest data, you can find reports from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And I actually was able to, while y'all were talking, I was able to pull up a couple of these. They're migratory bird hunting activity and harvest is mm-hmm. sort of the, the lead into each of these titles. The Fish and Wildlife Service produces these reports annually. If you're in- interested in harvest trends, that's the, or I should say harvest estimates, mm-hmm. that's the best place to look. It breaks it down by state and by flyway. Uh, and you know, getting back to the question just a minute ago, it's uh, gadwall, green wing teal, and then blue wing teal or have recently been the top three most harvested uh, species. Wood duck pops up there occasionally. Um, but uh, yeah, that, so that's the best place to go for harvest data. It's just, and I'm sure you could just Google this, uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service waterfowl harvest data, and you're going to get close to it. Uh, we don't... Uh, have anywhere on our site where we, you know, maintain these data mm-hmm. sets um, and any of the other stuff that I mentioned earlier in terms of the the, the biologists that we're working with to try to um, understand what may be hap- what changes may be occurring with with waterfowl migration and what are the uh, the different influences on that. Those are kind of ongoing active science discussions or science uh, research projects so no we don't uh, we don't have anything like on our website that people yeah. could could we, uh, could peruse we do have some tools chris online um it's just go to ducks you know www.ducks.org there's a lot of hunting tools on there that has different articles about you know public land um mm-hmm. access to public land even here in Louisiana, um, we have a, a, a map on there that shows all the, the the locations in Louisiana where we've done projects that are on WMAs. So some of that stuff is, um, I mean, it's, it's a great tool. It one might not be as specific as what you're looking for, but yeah. there's some great tools on that to be up for any kind of new hunter. Articles that might, you know, might might have written or other scientists have written on 
um, you know, different, different, different topics for waterfowl hunters, you know, uh, veterans or new yeah. owners. So, and I think this actually goes to um, my next question. So, I think one of the biggest issues, like for me, for instance, I didn't grow up waterfowling. I did other type of hunting. Uh, Joe kind of got me into it. I fell in love with it. Uh, long story short, because Joe gets tired of me saying this over and over in this podcast. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> and he has buddies also that didn't grow up waterfowling. He has buddies who bought all kinds of waterfowl stuff, but never had the opportunity to have somebody take them out to waterfowl. Uh, Val and Honor Outdoors is a great, great organization that helps service members. But even just for the normal Joe, uh, new waterfowler, um, how, how can the, how, cause I'm involved. I, I'm a, I'm a member of VU, uh, here in, in Texas. Um, how can they get involved without, I guess, being uncomfortable? Is there something that DU does to kind of help? Hey, look, these are some tactics. These are some skills that you may need. These are some, uh, these are people you may want to meet, or these are different, uh, um guides that like can be very very helpful some something for the new waterfowler that's just going out there who doesn't know another waterfowler because and the only reason i say that is because joe when he was in north carolina he had uh, uh somebody in his uh his platoon that bought all this waterfowl stuff wanted a waterfowl did not know anything about waterfowling but he had this stuff come to find out he knows that joe a waterfowl is and he, he he must have been sitting in all this stuff for what months right before you yeah, actually went almost out like a, I guess like a, uh, what he's trying to get is like is like a new hunter uh, mentor program, right? Yeah, like something like that, like a mentor program. We don't really have a mentor program. I would, I mean, per se, um, what we do have is a lot of the people that are just. I, I can speak the army. I, I was in Virginia for four years before I was here as a regional director. I got to work with the Pentagon chapter and a lot of service member there members there and same here for Fort Polk. So a lot of times those members, uh, be a serviceman or just a new person to the community, will join a committee and that's what they're looking for. They're looking for some camaraderie with some local brothers and sisters that have that same uh, common ground. Because I mean, most of our volunteers are hunters. Um, so those individuals are going to be more apt to understand the language, understand the talk of what's going on especially there in a local community if you're our community if you're living there in leesville people are going to know in the area where to go um, don't waste your time here um, so that's where a lot of these these individuals uh, young and old men and women are coming into the committees on products unlimited to to learn those those areas and they end up becoming and meeting friends with a lot of people and it becomes a family it becomes a du family um, and they end up a lot of times hunting with each other. Yeah. And I, I think that, yeah, uh, yeah, that's one thing too. I, I, I do agree with, um, like recently I, I'm going to, oh, we'll see. I'll actually go. I don't know if you are going to go to that convention that you are having in Louisiana. Um, the convention? yeah. Uh, New Orleans? is that the one it's in New Orleans, Joe, or there's one, I think the regional or the regionals in Lafayette, I was told I think I know you guys are having another one in New Orleans this year. Yeah. Nationals. Uh, I was, I was trying to see what your state conventions in Lafayette in July, the national yeah. conventions in September in New Orleans. Yeah, because in June I actually go to the uh, DU Expo here at Texas Motor Speedway. So I'll be there also. Oh, nice! Yeah. I might have to. I'll be actually. I volunteered to run the uh, the shotgun. Uh, I'll be there. Shotgun booth. Yeah. You'll be at the show. <laughs> 
I'll be there as well. Not at the shotgun deal, but at the uh, we're going to have a conservation village there at DUX, DU Expo, and so I will be. Uh, I'll be there. So. Oh yeah, I got an email actually for the conservation village to, uh, but I had already. I mean, I don't know how y'all send out those emails, but uh, a gentleman from the shotgun. Yeah, this a gentleman got in contact with me. He's like, hey, uh, I saw you know you have whatever, and he's like, you want to do shotguns? Like, yeah, let's go. Yeah. So I'll be up there for that. So hopefully I get to see y'all. And, yeah, well, uh, we'll have to make of, a we'll have to make a point of doing that. I I'm looking yeah. forward to it. It's going to be a uh, a big show. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's going to be a big deal. I, I'm I got family members and a bunch of other. I told Joe to come up, but he's a yeah. I'm a trauma. I'm still stuck here. I'm still in activity. <laughs> it's, uh, it's kind of harder to break away sometimes. Yeah, I'm kind of um, out, so it's easier for me. Yeah, that's coming up pretty quick, isn't it? It's yeah. like uh, next month, I believe. Yeah, so next month yeah. they they want us to go, uh, I guess, do like some type of orientation. And then from there it goes. For, I think it's the 29th, I believe. January oh, we'll 29th see. is when it is. See, we're going to have to get the dates here now. So it's 26th to the 27th is the dates, the Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll be there all actually all three days, so. Um, that's fun. Hopefully we get to see each other and I, this, um, we can kind of get together and talk a little bit more, but off record. Um, okay. So as, and I, I get what DU does. Um, and I guess the questions that we kind of want is kind of to cater to not just, uh, service members, first responders, but also that new waterfowler. Cause I know how, um, intimidating it can be to get in there. Um, it was for me. Um, but luckily I had somebody who could help me, uh, as far as do you guys ever get information on guides or do you guys work with guides? Is there anything that DU does with guides? And that there's aspect? Some, there's some guides that support us, you know, um, there's people, you know, that call me as, you know, staff that, you know, wh- where's the local guy? I, I don't, I can tell you some people that I've hunted with, but I mean, it's, it's not going to be a recommendation coming from Ducks Unlimited. Um, most mm-hmm. of my hunting is done on my own. I don't go pay a guy. I would rather go out and enjoy time afield with my family and doing it on my own. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't enjoy that. But um, we do not have specific guides that are tied to Ducks Unlimited. Um, that's not the field that we're in. Uh, we, we do support hunting, but it's not mm-hmm. uh, supporting specific guides and in, in, in locations. One of the things. Yeah. One yeah, of the things. One of the things I'll add here and. and it's going to depend on who's the who the audience is here for the for the podcast but we have we have avenues for people to get involved with the waterfowling community multiple avenues through which people can get involved with the waterfowling community and that's through our different chapters we have chapters mm-hmm. at the uh, at the varsity level i don't know how widespread these are in louisiana and and texas i know there's a few here in tennessee and they're just trying to ramp up some of that these basically high school chapters and and then uh, university chapters as well. So if there's anyone listening to this that's interested in waterfowl hunting or getting involved in it, those are going to be uh, in outstanding ways to meet like-minded people and mm-hmm. make friends with people that, that may already be waterfowl hunters. And Chris, just as you talked about how Joe uh, was very influential in you becoming a waterfowl hunter, that's, that is really important because it it can be a type of hunting that 
that is a little difficult. It takes some time to learn, takes time to know what kind of gear you need and where to go. So the fastest way to, uh, like, like many things, the fastest way to get involved, to get engaged is going to be to make connection with someone who is already a waterfowl hunter and who can mm-hmm. advise you on those types of things. So among, for the younger crowd, depending on their age, we have our high school chapters, we have our university chapters. And then if anyone is already out out of high school or university, our regular chapters are also a great place to find people that are uh, that are like minded. Derek, I'm sure you have a ton of examples of people that have contacted you and wanted to maybe they're new to an area and they want to figure out where to hunt and how to get better experience at hunting. And they just want to get involved with the DU committee uh, as, a, as a volunteer. That's a great way to speed up the process of learning how to become a waterfowler. Yeah. And I, I think the volunteering thing actually is something that kind of helped me to uh, volunteer. And actually one thing, uh, I don't know, you might know, uh, I've actually tried to look and I couldn't find any volunteering for any of the uh, um, re- uh, re- uh, reservoirs or any any uh, waterfowl um, biologist stuff that they need assistance with. Like I've tried looking for that. I couldn't find anything here. I'm sure there is in different areas. Um, do you like know some of the banding programs? Yeah, some of the banding programs where I can just go and help uh, the biologists up there. And um, I think one thing with me is I, I kind of, and I don't know, maybe Joe kind of gets a sense of it, but I kind of want to know what the the ducks are doing, um, especially when it comes to uh, like fishing. It's just like fishing, you know, match the hatch, kind of get that uh, the fish do will act a certain way at certain times in certain areas. And uh, that's something that I'm not knowledgeable about. And that's something I do want to get knowledgeable about what they why they do this, why they act this way. So. Um, but uh, I'll keep looking into that. Do you know any of uh volunteer going on for to help biologists or at at the top of your head if not don't worry about it i can look (laughs) uh that's gonna be a very site specific type of um type of issue and sometimes researchers or state waterfowl biologists will will offer volunteer opportunities as you know ducks unlimited does not get involved with the with a lot of the banding operations that you talk about unless we are working you know with the people that are that are doing those ducks unlimited we don't have biologists that lead any of those banding efforts mm-hmm. uh, so from that standpoint we yeah we're not uh, we we don't coordinate any volunteer opportunities around that uh, and in terms yeah the the other volunteer opportunities with ducks unlimited would be real hit or miss uh, mm-hmm. and there's nothing very there's no standard opportunity i guess i would say from a waterfowl biology kind of volunteer uh, standpoint within ducks unlimited um you know social media would prop trying to figure out yeah trying to identify yeah places or opportunities on social media might be one opportunity i, I don't know it's just not a whole lot of that out there to be honest yeah um, it comes and goes i mean there's opportunities here in southwest louisiana sometimes doing marsh grass plantings um, before the hurricane, they were doing yeah. a lot of stuff within RCS, which is the Natural Resource Conservation Service. And they were doing a lot of that stuff in that Lake Charles area, doing some new projects and restoration stuff. So that kind of ebbs and flows depending on what projects they're doing. Um, and then sometimes some of the local banding guys have, have gotten a hold of me and said, hey, send out an e-blast, you know, for I need help tomorrow morning at six o'clock, you know. Yeah. So sometimes those 
requests don't come in a very timely manner. Um, you know, last year I got one on Christmas Eve. Hey, I need 40 people to come help me. Yeah. Sorry, Jack. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. On Christmas Eve. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good example there, Derek, the, the, the marsh grass plantings. And that's kind of what I was meaning whenever I said maybe look on social media for volunteer opportunities. The group that one of the groups that uh, at least in Louisiana that's responsible responsible for a lot of those kind of volunteer opportunities is I, I think it's the Co- Coastal Restoration Coalition of Louisiana, CRCL. Mm-hmm. And so they oftentimes will promote will post, you know, a volunteer opportunity to help plant marsh grasses and on some restoration uh, project. And so, yeah, it's real site specific and exactly as Derek said, comes and goes. Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to DU, how long have you guys actually been with DU? Uh, Have y'all been with them for a while or is it? Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Well, let's see. It's going on 18 years now. Is that right? Mm-hmm. No, oh, wow. no, 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 no. Uh, my math is <laughs> wrong. Right. It's late in the day. My math was wrong. It's, <laughs> it's going on 16 years. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 13 years in Lafayette and uh, going on three years uh, here in, in Memphis. It feels like 17 years given how 2020 went. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So that's where okay. I'm about 16. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on 14 years. I was uh, in Virginia for four years as a regional director on the East Coast. And I, that's where I got my really um, knowledge and base of the waterfowling heritage on the East Coast. I'm originally from Georgia where, um, you know, we struggled a lot of times harvesting waterfowl. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of sunrises and sunsets of just seeing wood ducks fly in the treetops. But uh, I made the move and moved to Louisiana, Southwest Louisiana, and that this July will be 10 years I've been here in Southwest Louisiana. So almost 14 years, all as a regional director, uh, oh, nice. fundraising for Ducks Unlimited, and many more to come, I hope. Yeah. One, one thing I'll follow up on there, it, Derek is probably the same way I am. When people ask us that question, we – we instinctively think that they're asking about our employment with Ducks Unlimited. And I think that's what both Derek and I responded to there. But if you're asking about just our overall involvement with Ducks Unlimited, it goes back yeah. a much, much farther than that. Yeah, my yeah, dad, yeah. I can, I can tell stories about my dad as an area chairman. Uh, and actually, matter of fact, I have a hat of his up here oh, uh, nice. back probably from the late seventies or early eighties. Um, and so I've been a, I grew up as a, as a Green Wing and have been a DU member for a long, long time. There was probably a few years in there where I, I lapsed, but uh, no, I've I've been involved with some uh, chapters several places along the way, and so uh, Ducks Unlimited has been a part of my life as long as I can remember. Nice, nice. Hey, Derek, I, I mean, I I, I I've kind of gotten my feet wet with Ducks Unlimited starting um, yeah. a satellite uh, chapter in in South Georgia. It's the uh, uh, Abram Baldwin Agricultural College along with the University of Georgia. We, we started okay. a legion chapter down there and that's kind of where I got my feet wet. And that was probably in, geez, 2002, 2004, oh, nice. somewhere around there. So <clears throat> it's kind of off topic. Um, and I kind of do this every now and then. I, I, I got like ADD or something, but uh, so I'm not only waterfowl, I, I love it, but I'm also a football fan. You a dogs fan, Derek? I graduated from University of Georgia. Oh, okay. So you're so done. <laughs> if I could turn my camera, I'd show you my diploma. Oh, nice. 
We don't need to, we don't need to do that. This is a family friendly <laughs> show, Derek. <laughs> I can't get too mad at you, Mike. At least you're a bulldog. That's right. Oh, you a state fan? A Mississippi State. That's oh, right. Oh wow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So I we we grew up uh, Aggie fans, so we play oh, out yeah. in the West all the time. So yeah. But yeah, uh, hopefully the season gets fun. So. Yeah. It's exciting. But uh, anyway, so let's move on because I kind of went off topic. So um, we, we kind of heard everything, uh, opportunities. I think it was a good thing that, I, and I think for me, especially for people that like, get to hear, okay, what is really DU all about? Because I, to be honest, I didn't, I, I maybe saw a couple pam- pamphlets of DU when I was younger. Uh, friends would have magazines or something. And I kind of blew it off because, like I said, I didn't waterfowl hunt, I did other type of hunting. Um, but then when I looked into it, um, there was some research. Uh, there was some stuff that I did like in volunteer opportunities. Um, I think one thing I would say to the listeners, uh, take advantage of those volunteer opportunities. You're going to meet great people. You're going to listen. You're going to uh, interact with people who are also new waterfowlers. I know I did. Um, so and I think that's the, the biggest step. Um, and if you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like that that is a biggest step for somebody who wants to get into waterfowl because it's not something that um for me, it's not easy to get because I, I don't know too many waterfowlers here in North Texas. I mean, I know a lot of them now because of the podcast and all this, but they're kind of out in the woodwork. So, um, and it's a different lifestyle. It's a grind. I will say that. I mean, I'm sure you guys know it's a grind, <laughs> especially yeah. when you're pulling out decoys and you don't have your own uh, private land where you can leave your decoys out there. You just got to haul them every time. So, um, it is. It is. Joe, did you have anything? Yeah, I had a couple. So, um, Talking about, you know, we were talking about earlier with the Green and Wing program. Um, I said, you know, talking about your hat, like, I'm going to grab, oh, this is, the, you know, the Green Wing hat from 1992. Yeah, and I, yeah. you know, I attended my, my first Green Wing event as a kid. So, you know, the Green Wing and DU has been a big, huge part of my life. Um, I, mean, I grew up all in until I uh, joined the military, you know, moved a lot. But um, what program or recruitment programs do, you know, Waterfowl is kind of like on a decline of, you know, hunters. So, you know, for kids growing up now, what are some of the big recruitment and big, um, and this is more towards Derek, big um, youth events, you know, around the, you know, around the U.S., around Louisiana for like the Green Wing programs? I'll, I'll answer something before I dive off of that. One, you had mentioned that, you know, waterfowl hunters on the decline. Um, in Louisiana, I mean, it seems like, you know, we, we do still have a pretty good um, group of people that are waterfowl hunting here in Louisiana. But um, alluding to that, with MDU, um, we're seeing a lot more people outside of just hunters coming to volunteer because we're doing a better job, I feel, as Ducks Unlimited, showing that Ducks Unlimited is not just hunters. I mean, if we if we were just doing things for hunters, um, we're missing eighty percent of really what we do. I mean, the clean water stuff that we're able to do with I mean, heck, we're dealing with floods right now. I mean, I hear the water hitting my house. I mean, Lake Charles is flooding right now. That's a major thing that we do with our wetlands. Um, that that's not hunter specific. Um, same thing with you know up in the Dakotas, we're able to do work up there. That I mean, it's a helping all kinds of animals other than waterfowl or migratory birds. So just kind of wanted to spin that off real quick. But um, to answer your question, Ducks Unlimited, we have offerings for everything from Greenwing, which is a 
as soon as you come out of the, your, your mother's womb to go to an DU event and have that experience um, all the way up to as Mike was referring to you know, talking about the collegiate chapters. And that's something that's probably happened in the last 10 or 15 years really um, is getting that foothold in. So we're able to do that. They're able to start. Um, we just rolled out some stuff with doing certificates of, uh, of, of ecology um, and might, might, might be able to speak to that a little bit more than I can. Um, there, there, we have a scholarship program for, uh, first year, uh, freshmen coming out of high school. Um, that's something that we started, you know, five years ago, six years ago. Um, so there's all, I mean, all ages ducks unlimited has the ability and we, and we focus all throughout the United States to try to introduce these kids to Ducks Unlimited or to the outdoors because we know as they get older, um, they'll understand what Ducks Unlimited is doing and what we truly do. And it's not an illusion or what you hear from somebody else. So it's, it's a good way to engage um, individuals starting at a young age. So they, they, they know, just like you did, Joe, you know, uh, you've been exposed since you were a green wing and you know really what we do. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't even know that it, to me. I, I, I always assumed that it was in the rise just because um, I mean, I guess it's just once you get into it, but you it's it's like everything else. I feel like everybody gets into it. But I mean, I, I know a lot more waterfowlers now than I ever have. So um, and I, I meet people a lot of times when I do a recruitment event, say, for the community in Lake Charles or wherever it is. I mean, a lot of people will come up and say, man, I thought y'all were a clothing line or I thought y'all were just a sticker on the back of somebody's truck. I mean, <laughs> you, you meet a lot of people in, in the recruiting young kids or adults that really don't know. They recognize the logo, but they don't know truly what we do and, and how much we do. Okay. Um, and, and that that's, that's, that's actually really good. I, and that's something that I do, I do feel that's um, good for kids because I, I told Joe, I, I, I can't take my kids duck hunt or deer hunting. Cause they, they don't know how to be quiet. Um, right. It's different. But when I took them out waterfowl, it, they loved it. They had fun. They, the only time they had a hush up was when that moment, when the birds were coming in, put their head down, whatever it may be. So um, I think it's a really good experience, uh, not just for uh, youth, but for our whole family, I mean, your wife, your kids, um, everybody out there. It's definitely something for me. It's definitely, it, it reminds me a lot of fishing, if that makes any sense. But because I, I grew up fishing, it just reminds me a lot of fishing because you can take your kids out there, your family out there, and all y'all fishing. And then uh, waterfowl, the same thing. I can't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pack my, uh, my, my tree stand with my, all my, my whole family in there because it, uh, once you get to know me, I mean, I, I got a football team, so it's, it's, uh, um, they won't fit, <laughs> but, uh, um, as let, let's get into, uh, and this is something that I'm always curious about when we talk to our guests, I, I just kind of like, and it, it kind of helps me to kind of get to know a little bit more of the waterfowl community, um, and the, the experiences. So when it comes to the habitats or type of hunting habitats, what, what type of habitats do you guys prefer preferably? And, uh, I mean, Derek, you can go first this time, I guess. Well, it's being in South Louisiana. I mean, I, I, I do a lot of my hunting now in the marsh. I mean, I, I don't get to do what I grew up doing. Um, I cut my teeth actually on the South Carolina coastline doing exactly where I'm at and same type of 
uh, habitat that I, I get to hunt here in Southwest Louisiana. But um, I, my, my favorite is, and my passion is hunting mallards in the timber. And just because yes. I, when I was in Georgia, I did not have the opportunity to, to get to hunt a whole lot in Georgia. So my college roommates and I would go to Mississippi and Arkansas and stuff like that up in the Missouri um, hunting public lands. So that was um, a lot of my opportunities was, was chasing mallards. Not to say that I don't like sitting in the marsh with my mm-hmm. fellow friends, but it, it seems like home whenever I get to go see, a, a, you know, even if it's a single mallard crawling through the trees, it's just kind of a back to the glory days and my hard hunting running at 4 a.m. trying to, you know, find a place to hunt. So, yeah, that's, I think, especially for me, like to me, the timber is still, it, it brings me back. It, I love the, uh, hunting the timbers. Um, I may not, uh, I, I don't know, may, this, and again, this is just from a, a rookie, uh, waterfowler, but I, I may not get as much birds that come in. Um, like if, let's say if you were in the, I don't know, the Gulf or any marsh or whatever, but, um, to me, if, if it does feel like it feels like I'm out there, if like, if I was, uh, deer hunting, um, and that we actually recently, Joe was telling me a couple guys that put deer stands up there to waterfowl. And I was like, yeah, that's crazy. But, um, I thought that was pretty interesting. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm on, I'm on the same boat with you as far as like in the timbers. I love that. So it's pretty, it, it's just interesting for me. So, and Mike, did, in what were you? You know, I have a hard time selecting one over the other. Mm-hmm. Um, what I will say is that I have, uh, and this is going to sound really weird given where I grew up and people aren't going to believe me, uh, given where I grew up, given where I live now, I don't have a whole lot of experiences with good timber hunts. Mm-hmm. I'm still looking for one of those. Um, but you know, I've, I grew up hunting the backwaters of Grenada Lake. It's a flood control reservoir in, in North Mississippi. And a lot of the, uh, the, the vegetation communities in those wetlands was primarily, uh, scrub, shrub, button willow, cypress trees. And so those obviously, uh, whenever I'm in one of those, it brings back a lot of memories of hunting with my friends and, and family. Uh, there were a lot of, uh, flooded natural overbank flooding i there's something a little there's something pretty cool about that natural overbank flooding whether it be agricultural fields or some grassy areas that that were dry yesterday and you get a big rain and then water uh, gets out of the banks of the river there's something uh, to me there's something special about that where you have this brand new habitat that's available and it just seems like if you find that the ducks just really want to be there. And of yeah. course my favorite habitat is, is the one where the ducks want to be. Right. <laughs> so yeah. no matter what it is, if it's trees or yeah. grass or cattail, but you know, I, I've hunted in Canada a few times as well. And some of those, those uh, wetlands and potholes up there, are pretty cool to, to hunt, but, uh, and then some rice fields as well. I've, I've been there. And so you know, the one that takes me back to memories in my life or the, or the the scrub shrub, um, the button willow cypress type uh, wetlands, and but yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't pass up a good timber hunt either. That's for sure. Yeah, nice. Yeah, nice. Joe, did you have anything else? Uh, just one last thing. Uh, kind of talking about you know going about when you're talking about the new conservation. Uh, what are some of the upcoming like big projects here in the southwest Louisiana for you know either public to see or help or you know kind of what you know, what DU is doing here in uh, Southwest Louisiana? 
You want to tackle that or you want me to, Mike? <laughs> Uh, why don't you start, Derek? I know we traded emails on this. We have a few projects to mention. If you want to uh, to start out, and then then I, I can contribute a little bit. Yeah, I'll just name five different uh, projects or areas that we're always focused on. Uh, the first project that I'm going to talk about is the White Lake Project. It's currently managed by the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. Um, it's 16,000 acres of project that we're working with. Um, that big of an area, uh, obviously winters a lot of birds, whatever is managed correctly. And a lot of times uh, LDWF has not had the, the resources to properly manage um, the, the water levels in that area. So Ducks Unlimited is going in with uh, our partners and we're going to put in some new structures and work with LDWF to try to better management that area because there's a lot of of waterfowl hunters that surround that White Lake area that that get a lot of birds off of White Lake and and utilize those same areas and those same wetlands. Um, so that's a big problem, I mean, a huge project that we're that we're working with with our partners. Um, second one is it's the uh, phase two of our freshwater bayou. Freshwater bayou is going to be seven to eight miles of uh, shoreline protection. We've already done some of that. It's going to be um, pre pretty much putting a riprap on the sides of the banks. Uh, if you're familiar with and never ever ran down intercoastal waterways, I mean, those intercoastal waterways, when they were first dredged and, and put in, they were 100 foot, you know, or excuse me, 100, yeah, 100, 100 foot, 150 foot wide. And now in some areas, I mean, they're seven, 800 foot wide. So what that's doing is eating into some of those freshwater wetlands um, and there's a lot of really quality wetlands along that um, intercoastal waterway so Ducks Unlimited and some of our partners are going in and working on riprapping and protecting those waterways to where we don't have erosion um, eroding at those those wetlands and, and taking those away from us. Um, the third one is Kings Bayou. Uh, it's a project that we're doing down in Creole it's a kind of a matching project if you were to look up the Creole project. Um, it's it's a huge drainage. It's it's flowing a lot of water into this one um, area in Creole. It's probably going to impact about 10,000 acres, the, the King's Bayou project. We're working with the uh, Gravity Drainage District. That's who manages those different water control structures to decide how much water to release or how much water to hold back in, into the, the whole drainage. So we have to work with those individuals very to properly manage those water levels, make sure we get the right structure in there to for them to be able to easily manage those water levels. Um, another project or another area that we work with, and I don't know if y'all are familiar with it, but we have a rice stewardship program that um, here in Southwest Louisiana, especially, it's a program that we want rice to stay on the landscape. Ducks Unlimited, or the farmers, are having a very hard time keeping rice on the landscape with commodity prices being so low and input costs being so high. So Ducks Unlimited came together with USA Rice, a lot of the big rice producers, um, to implement this program, the rice stewardship program. So Ducks Unlimited works directly with farmers in Southwest Louisiana to do water pump testing, to do 
Um, soil testing, there's a lot of testing that we work with the farmers on to make sure they're putting on the right amount of water, they have the right uh, equipment to utilize to make you know things cheaper. Um, so that's something that we work with them on directly with the Rice Stewardship Program. And we also work with NRCS to try to open the door for these farmers to say, okay, hey, there's a new program coming down the pipe from the US uh, DA and you need to talk to this guy to, to hopefully capitalize on this opportunity of this new money coming down for only rice producers. Um, the last thing I'll talk about is the Louisiana Waterfowl Project. That's a project ran here in uh, Lafayette, Louisiana by Aaron Pierce. He's a local biologist. And that's for any individuals, y'all too, but me, if I had a, a, a piece of waterfowl ground that I own, <coughs> excuse me, you can always go to Ducks Unlimited and those guys will come out and help you. They may be able to do a management plan for your area, or there may be some potential money through NRCS that they can say, hey, you need to go talk to these guys that you can get this structure put in for, you know, small, small costs. Or mm -hmm. um, if you have questions about what vegetation I need to focus on, that's something that'll come out there and look at your ground. So I think that's something that most waterfowl hunters and landowners don't, you know, utilize or don't know about. Yeah, I think that uh, that's actually um, really important. I had no idea that uh, DU was doing all that just uh, from, uh, from looking at the outside in so i'm glad i'm glad you kind of spoke on that especially in the in the mississippi flyway there in louisiana i know there were some issues uh, uh last year with the hurricanes and stuff so hopefully everything gets back up how it was but and mike uh, can probably allude to some of that stuff in more detail more so than i can so he can let yeah. actually i was just gonna i was gonna say that i'm i'm glad you went first because you did a better job covering that than i ever could and so uh that's good you know the only what I'll there's probably no need for me to add anything to what Derek said regarding those projects in Louisiana, unless y'all have any specific questions. He did a fantastic job describing those at a, at a big big picture. But you know, Louis, uh, Ducks Unlimited has been involved in dozens of hundreds of projects in Louisiana. I actually did a quick internet search here uh, not too long ago and found something. One of the one of the sources, funding sources for a lot of the projects that Derek mentioned is the North American Wetlands Conservation Act and as an example of the the reach that that, pro, that program federal program has for Louisiana, Louisiana Wetlands Conservation. I think this the date of this document, this little summary was 2018. Uh, there have been over 74 North American wetland conservation projects in Louisiana, uh, bringing over $58 million to Louisiana wetlands conservation restoration when, and bringing with that matching funds on the order of $150 million and affecting nearly 800,000 acres. So, uh, Derek mentioned just a small number of projects. There are dozens and over hundreds of projects that have been implemented there in Louisiana, and that's just Louisiana. I know some of your audience is going to be in Texas and even farther than that, but uh, Texas has some similar pro uh, projects and programs. The The analog, if you will, for the Louisiana Waterfowl Project that Derek mentioned 
in Texas is going to be the Texas Prairie Wetlands Project. It's primarily a coastal okay. uh, coastal project. And I think there's probably, I know at one time there was an East Texas waterfowl project. I'm not even sure if that's still going. Derek, do you know? I'm not familiar with Texas. Um, but, but those are private land, wetland restoration and enhancement and management programs that Derek did a great job describing. Uh, so, yeah, there's resources out there uh, through our Ducks Unlimited biologists for, uh, for, for public lands, for private lands, you name it. We work on it. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, the, there's a lot going on. Nice, nice. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a cool fact for, for Louisiana. That's that's where my knowledge is right here. But over the past, I would say, eight to ten years, Louisiana has raised approximately three and a half to four million dollars on our event fundraising. And during that same time, look, the conservation staff has spent between 10 and 12 million dollars on conservation projects in Louisiana. So there's not a whole lot of states out there that can say that they're they're spending three times the amount of money on conservation projects than, than we're raising here in, in Louisiana. That being said, we, we're a high priority area being on the Gulf Coast. Our coastlines are very prone to erosion. So that's something that, you know, a lot of people uh, want to focus on is, is, is trying to protect our coastline. But I think that's a pretty cool fact just to, to let everybody know that we're spending three times the amount of money that Ducks Unlimited fundraises um, in this state. So, Yeah, absolutely. That was uh, definitely good information. Um, and I, I think that's I think the information here also helps the local uh, people. In Louis Cause I, I lived in Louisiana. I just recently moved back to Texas just because uh, um, of getting out of the military or whatever. But uh, I know there was a, a lot of questions talking to other waterfowlers down there, what was going, going to happen, especially with the hurricanes and all that, um, all the stuff that happened last year. So, uh, Joe, you have anything? No, I'm ready to wrap. Y'all have any questions for us? <laughs> I don't think so, Chris, uh, other than just thank you for the opportunity to come on yeah, and talk absolutely. about waterfowl, wetlands, Ducks Unlimited. Um, as I said, kind of midway through this or at the, at the outset, there's any number of these topics that we could that we could select and talk about for multiple hours. But, yeah, I know you don't have a multi-hour podcast here. <laughs> and we're probably not uh, at the end of the day and not in the mood to do that either. So, But yeah. thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. No, absolutely. And I, I really appreciate you too, Derek. Um Thank y'all for coming on the show. Uh, I do want to thank uh, DU if, and just for the from my experience as a new waterfowler, I definitely would uh, recommend any new waterfowler who never doesn't have anybody or is lucky enough to have somebody like Joe or, or it's probably a curse that I know Joe, but um, <laughs> but uh, you know I definitely would look them up. They're a great community. I will say the the waterfowl community has probably been the the most uh, helpful community I've ever dealt with. Uh, and that's, um, and that, that's the God honest truth. So uh, I want to thank Valen Honor Outdoors for what they do for our service members. If you guys haven't checked them out, please go to flywayconnections.com, check them out um, there. We have a link straight to them, or you can go to valenhonor.com or valenhonoroutdoors.com to go ahead and see what they do. Um, I want to thank all the people who have so far uh, supported us at, in this uh I guess, series of mine and Joe's life. Uh, thank Derek and Mike once again. And um, like always, y'all have a good one and uh, let Valor not fail. Mm -hmm.